So what I wanted to do was make today like a, a living room. And, and uh, you know, can I just invite you guys into my living room? Have you over for coffee right now? Are you, have you got coffee right now anyway? And just tell you what I think Orchard Grove should be. And we'll all be like, it'll be like a giant leadership meeting. And you could help us lead the way. And um, I just wanted to tell you something. The first thing is that if I explain Orchard Grove um, to so many people, it's absolute freedom. Because they grew up knowing only one way to understand God or faith, and it was incredibly binding, um, sometimes condemning, sometimes guilt-ridden, sometimes negative. And the shackles come off, and it feels incredibly free, and I get these emails all the time, like, I've waited my whole life to hear this. Like, I thought down here, that's how God was, but I never had anyone tell me or explain it to me. And so it's going to feel freedom for a lot of people. Let me also say this. As I share the vision of Orchard Grove, it's going to make some of you frustrated. So you need to know that too. Some of you who don't want to leave certain things of past religious experiences behind, you're going to be frustrated at me. So that's why I'm going to try to teach. We're going to spend some time on the whiteboard. Are you with me? I'm going to try to teach a little bit. And so just think of this as like a little family time together. Um, and, and by the way, as we do this, I mean, my hope is that um, you can learn. My hope is that you can explain because some of you like Orchard Grove, but you don't know how to explain it to anybody. It's like, I don't know. Like, they just wear jeans and they have coffee. But it's got to be a little more, it's going to be a little deeper than that. All right? And, um, and so, who was here last week? Put your hand up. Come on, put it up high so I see. Who skipped? All right. Who needs a review? A review. Should we review or just move forward? Oh, so you could sleep in, sir? That's why I will stop. No, I'm just kidding. A quick review. All right, who's up for a quick review? Quick one. All right. Don't get too bossy down here in the front. No, that's all right. Anyway, okay. Okay, if you were here, who is this? Who is this? The prophet? Hosea. Hosea. All right. Does anybody know the verse? Hosea 6 6. What's over here? Leviticus. You did you were here last week. The gore of Leviticus. Alright, let's rifle through a couple of them. Alright. Hosea said, I desire what? Mercy, not sacrifice. Alright? I think they'll throw that verse up there. Maybe they will. I desire mercy, not what? Say it together out loud. I desire mercy, not... But Leviticus was screaming sacrifice. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. This will make God happy. God gets high on sacrifice. 
It's a good aroma, it says. Loves it. What do we say about this? What we said is, what we're learning is, instead of saying, the Bible says, do you, do you understand, can I just do a little side here? Do you understand why when people say, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Listen, let me teach for a minute. Do you understand that when people say, what does the Bible say about fill in the blank? What does the Bible say about this or this or this or this? Do you see now why this is a difficult question? Please say yes. You don't? What does the Bible say about this? Well, here it says what? Yay, sacrifice. God loves sacrifice. <clears throat> this guy says what? No. Along comes Jesus. What does he say? I'm with Hosea. Seven hundred years later. Do you see why that is such a loaded question? What does the Bible say? Because the Bible says two different things, clearly. Maybe a better question might be, when does the Bible say? Are we thinking a little bit or just going to sleep this morning? What the heck's going on? Maybe that's a better question. Do you see why it's difficult? Do you see that it's naive? What does the Bible say? Well, that's a little naive. And people will be there like, oh, oh, it says that. And you're in the Bible study and you go, oh. And you don't know any of the other verses or you haven't seen the whole movie. Hang in there. Oh, by the way, I've got to do a little aside. It's not Hosea. This is not one isolated verse that I found. It's Isaiah. It's Psalm 51. Do you need me to go on? Do you need me to list them all? Or can you take my word for it that the prophets said, uh-uh. And what did they do to the prophets? They stoned them. Ask Jesus. Remember when he's coming into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday? He's weeping. He goes, you that stoned the prophets? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned these guys. Why did they stone these guys? Because they critiqued the, what? System. In this system, if you read, I think it's Leviticus 5, 15. If you're a note taker, just take doing aside. They got a 20% cut. Now just think about the money making. Every... Who here feels guilty on an occasional Sunday you walk into church? Come on, put your hand on it. Because you always confess, oh, I feel so bad about that. People are always feeling guilty. So they have these guilt offerings. Beautiful idea. Well, all you do is bring an offering over here. And you're good. No, think about it. No, this is because us humans, we want something to unload that guilt. And then a guy with a very official looking robe tells you, you're, you're now good. Let me ask God. You're God. 
Now this was thousands of years ago. We still do this today. Guys with fancy robes, just a minute, uh, and they give you something to do. I'm not trying to be critical of one particular church, but you know, a few come to mind. <laughs> Say this many prayers, do this many things, and there's a certain number. Now I'm not trying, honestly, you, you gotta understand this, because and then in our human psyche, we go, okay, Boom. And you do the last one, and now it's, you're handed the, the, the okay. Now God's happy. And you, you can walk away without the guilt. Are you with me? So they needed some kind of system to help people. But this started to become what? Profitable. In John chapter 2, Jesus goes into the temple, and he starts... They're selling. What are these? Huh? Well, it's not a two-legged sheep. They don't, you have to be, actually they need to be very healthy. Uh, sheep, they're selling all these things in the temple. And they're making money. And Jesus comes in and does what? Do you know why Jesus got killed? A little maverick for his day. So he's turning all this over. He's like, we don't need all of this stuff. This was supposed to be gone a long time ago. This doesn't reflect how God actually thinks. This reflects how people perceive God in that day. Are you with me? So what does the Bible say is not only a difficult question, listen, it's a deceptive question. It's a misleading question. Because it's code for what does God think about this? And then I find a verse that matches what I think. Again, here's a verse that says this. Here's a verse that says that I could go on all day and show you contradicting ideas. So if I want to prove a point, I find a verse. It doesn't matter how uninspired it is. Would you call this uninspired? Please say yes. Please say you're getting this. But it's a progressive. It's going somewhere. So if I just yank a verse from here somewhere because I want to condemn somebody or make them feel bad or fall in line with my way of thinking, it's a deceptive question. It's a misleading question. Can I even say it's a dangerous question? Because it's a Bible verse. And then people go, you know people always give me? They're old Bibles. Do you know why? You do, do you know why? They're, they can't throw them away. So I get them. You know what I mean? People are like, I got this old Bible that's torn up. It's all messed up. No one ever reads it. I'm cleaning my house. I want to get rid of it. Pastor, could you take it? I was like, no, just, if you're not using it, just throw it away. I, got, I, I offended a few people right there. That's okay. Think about it. Think about it. It's paper and print. No, some of you aren't there yet. I, I just frustrated some of you. But don't bring it to me.
I have one. I have about 70. It wasn't just Hosea. It was all kinds of people. And they were moving the story forward. So let's talk about this. What was advancing? The way they understood God. This was God is blood. What? Oh, it's so much pressure spelling in front of you guys. Thirsty. Let me show you another thing that was new. By the time you get to Jesus, Jesus starts saying completely different things about God. Back here, they believe that God lived in their what? This is a tent. They lived, that God lived in their tent. And they carried God around with them, and God, because they carried God with them, good things happened. He was like a good luck charm. You just keep him around, rub him every now and then, good things happen, and this, you can read it all throughout the story. Um, along comes David and Solomon, and go, no, 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 he shouldn't have a tent, he should have a, huh? A real, a real house, you know, like royalty. So they build a temple, right? Well, I'll give you some columns. They build a temple. Along comes Jesus, and he starts to say things that are very different. God doesn't live in temples built by humans. Now, I was talking about this with my guy's Bible study I have. I was like, could you imagine if you're the guy that has the keys to this building, the whole universe, the whole planet Earth, and there's one building, one building where God lives. Could you imagine if you had the keys? Huh? Oh, that would never happen. Huh? That would never happen. Oh, you want to... And then every year the high priest could only go in there once a year. You know the whole story, right? Then all of a sudden, get this. This, this thing gets destroyed. It's gone. The Romans come in and knock the house over. Now what do we do? Uh-oh. God's house is gone. So where does God go? Do you understand? How consciousness had to evolve and people had to get to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. God doesn't live here. You remember when the temple was torn? It was like God's behind this curtain. And when the temple was torn, it was like, uh-oh, maybe no one's here. Maybe God is what? everywhere or as Jesus said God is spirit God is spirit this is word, Jesus words don't stone me everybody go stone Jesus if you want to stone somebody I'm quoting him God is spirit let's say it together God is spirit not confined to a building not stuffed in a box 
Paul comes later in, in Acts 17, and he's teaching. I, I have a picture. I want to show you a picture. This is, I took this picture the other day when we were in Greece. I took uh, some of our church there. And this is an incredible speech that Paul gives in Athens. All right? I'm actually sitting in a restaurant right there. And Charlie's got applesauce on her face. Vicky looks very nice on the other side. And between them, I took this picture. And if you can see right below the Parthenon, there's a hill, Areopagus, right? This is where Paul gives this speech. And he says something that's mind-blowing. It's so radically different from here. This is what he says. God doesn't live in temples built by human hands. Now, this is why it's so great. Can you put that picture back up? Paul said, God doesn't live in temples. Don't look over my shoulder. That's all they knew. God lives in boxes. And really, what it was, it was a competition for who has the best box has the best God. He blows the box up. You have this term today, thinking outside of the box. Paul explodes the box. He's not far, he says, from any one of us. Most of us, I grew up, I don't know if you did, thinking God was a long ways away. It's just like he's way up there, he's way up far away. And Paul says, God's not far from you. He's right here with you. Right here. Here. Ready? Right here. In him we live and move and have our being. If there's one verse in the Bible you should memorize, it's that one. We're swimming in God. God's not far. You don't need to shout, you need to get his attention. This was a mind-blowing statement because people didn't think like this. And the system worked well. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter if you were like Jewish and you had your temple or as we showed you in this picture, you were Gentile and you had your, your temple. It was just the way people thought. And the idea that God's not in this box was so freeing for some people and so frustrating for who? The cat with the keys. And all the people that got comfort, I'll, I'll be truthful, they got comfort, uh, they, would, they were good at that system. How many know when you put a system in place, some people are really good at it? How many of you, how many of you little like, Sunday school superstars that we have out there. Like, you got all the stickers. Come on, a couple of you. You know, yeah, there you are. There you go. You're, that's you. You give me the thing, and bam, bam, bam. Oh, get all the stickers. How many flunk Sunday school? Give me a hand up here. Some of us are really good at it, and some of us just weren't. So when you weren't good at it, we don't have a place for you. There's nothing for you. Let me explain some of the people you weren't allowed to include or be around under this system. Lepers. Now, leprosy in the Bible is not what, what would be like leprosy today as a defined medical term. It was anybody that had any kind of a skin disease, and, the, and 
infections and all kinds of things. And everybody had all kinds of things because they didn't know how to control that stuff back then. So a lot of people, you just get something and it would start eating away your skin. You didn't know how to do anything about it. And not only did, was it disgusting to you, difficult for you, does anybody know what I'm talking about? But now socially you're out. Could you imagine the panic that you had if you started to realize you had something like under your arm right here? You'd walk around for years trying to hide it, trying to... Because if people found out you had leprosy, you were no longer a part of the community. They didn't know how to heal it. Why do people afraid of people with leprosy back in the day? It's just a little scary to them, unknown to them. And so if you touch them, God was mad at you, and you were unclean for touching those unclean people. Are you with me? You couldn't touch a leper, or you now were unclean, and you couldn't go into this building. Can't go here. Sorry. And this is everything. This is how you get your sins forgiven. This is how you know you're good with God. This is everything. If you're a woman at the monthly time, this is what they thought. You're unclean. This is what they thought. Somehow, as God's disapproval or some, I'll go on, <laughs> uh, dead body. You can't touch a dead body. So you can't touch a, a woman during that time. You can't touch a dead body, or now you too are unclean. So not only can she not come there at that time, but if you touched her, you can't go there. A dead body, you can't go there. A tax collector, you can't touch a tax collector, or a sinner, or a prostitute. So everybody stayed away from them, and they had an in-club, and they had a what? Out-club. What did Jesus do? Anybody ever read a little Jesus? He's touching this guy, and touching that. Now a lot of us, like we get at the story, we kind of miss the main message. We think it's about the miracle, or the healing, or the whatever, and that, that's all good. The big the big eye-opener in its day was he touched them, he touched them, he touched them, he touched them. He touched the people you're not supposed to touch. What was Jesus trying to do? He was trying to include people, but the system had shut out. The system had said, you're out. There's no way to get rid of this stuff. The reason I had him do that song today, this guy starts this, it was a museum at the time, for people that the system had shut out. And there's a scene in the movie where he goes knocking on the door of a house because he's trying to get people to be in this thing that later became a circus. And he knocks on the door of this house and a mom answers the door and he says, I want to talk to you about your son. And she goes, I don't have a son. And he looks down at his medical records and he says, well, according to this record, you do have a son. He was born on this day. And with absolute shame, she lets the guy in and he goes to see the boy come out of his bedroom. He was short, extremely short. He didn't fit in. 
and she was so ashamed of him, she told people she didn't have a son. This is how life was before Jesus. He blew the system apart, my friends. It brings absolute panic and terror to people that are used to having other people on the outside and only the people that I want in. And Jesus just starts welcoming them all. And you can read all about it. It's all over the Gospels. Why is he talking with them? Why is he having dinner with them? Why is he letting that lady touch him? Because he didn't care about the system. It was revolutionary, friends. Jesus wasn't just like a nice guy that followed the rules. Can I just tell you that? He was a revolutionary. He blew their minds. And it, guess what? He too was a prophet because they what? They killed him. We don't like that stuff. We don't want these people coming in. We can't have that. That's dangerous. And then one bombshell idea after another. To make this radically inclusive community. So my friends, when we talk about Orchard Grove, we can't just keep listening to the same old things. What does the Bible say? We can say, what is it saying? Where is it pointing? What did it show us? You could talk about some summarizing verses. Say, well, it would be your opinion over someone else's opinion if they're summarizing. Fair enough. But when Jesus said things like, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Do you think he was wanting us to dispose of some old things? Survey says, a new commandment. Oh, Chris, but that's so soft. I hear this all the time, all the time. (laughs) But that's so soft. Loving people isn't actually the easiest thing in the world to do. Let me talk about this for a minute. I think it's in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, uh, if you love those who love you, if I love someone who loves me, that's not that difficult. If every Sunday I come in and the people that always go, Chris, you're the greatest, you're the best, I, I mean... God knows, but I go to them first for a hug. I just need a little love in the morning, right? They, Chris, that was such a good, oh, thank you. It's easy. It's easy for me to greet you. And if you're nice to me and you say good things to me, especially if you bake any particular kind of cookie, like, <laughs> like let's say oatmeal with butterscotch chips or anything like that, if it comes to mind, easy for me to love you back. But if you're hard on me, mean to me, it's hard for me to love you. Can anybody identify with this? So Jesus goes, anybody can love people that already love them. That's easy. That's layman's work. I'm asking you to love people that, what? Don't love you. Who's struggling here? 
Love's not easy. Let's just get over this thing that love's easy. Love's the most difficult, demanding, challenging thing you'll ever undertake, my friends. So don't give me this, oh, you're giving a low standard, you have no... Just, no, I just don't need a bloodthirsty God. I'm, this is the highest standard. A new commandment. Love one another. And just as it's difficult to love people who don't love you or who don't treat you well, it's also, listen very carefully to me, listen very carefully, it's very difficult to love people who aren't like you. And this has been our problem throughout history. We have a marred history. We haven't liked people who have different skin color than us. Do a little history, go watch a movie. Dear God, do something for yourself. We haven't liked people whose skin is a different tone than ours. We've thought women aren't smart enough to vote. We thought African Americans are not completely human beings. They thought lepers were this. They thought these people were that. I mean, we've treated mentally ill people. Or Can you imagine how marred our, our, our history is? Somebody comes in, and they've got a mentally ill child. I mean, you see it. I mean, today, today, hopefully, please, God, hopefully, everybody's heart of compassion just explodes open, and we throw loving arms around them. Please say. But that's not how it used to be. Oh, that must be some sin in that family. Well, it's difficult to deal with. We don't know them. We don't understand them. What are the next milestones? I, I think, be very blunt, I think the gay issue is one. I, I, I probably could think of a bunch of others. I don't understand them. They're different. Okay. They're different from you. I'm different from you. I think what, if we get the momentum, if we get the movement, if we get where the whole story was going, we would have to throw our arms so far wide open. But that's hard for me. All right. That's a stretch. I get that. Let me go back to last week. Holy cow, that was the introduction. Listen here, listen. It's over and that was the introduction. What I was going to say, for I was so rudely interrupted by myself, is we think of this as a gym for your soul. Something to get you spiritually fit on the inside. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Train yourself to be spiritually fit. And part of that, you have to stretch. You have to. You have to stretch. And when you stretch, it hurts. I asked Earl, he's over on camera over there. I said, Earl, how you doing, man? He goes, ah, oh, physical therapy. <laughs> he had shoulder surgery. What are they doing? Wrenching on that bad boy. Huh? Who loves that? 
Oh, just come on, wrench on it, Doc. No, no one likes to get stretched. But listen, if he doesn't stretch that shoulder, what's going to happen? It's going to seize up. It's going to go this far. Church, wake up. Wake up. This hurts. But I'm telling you to include and accept and... No, I can't do that. I told I got a Bible verse. No kidding, you got a Bible verse. So do these guys. You don't want to hear this. Stretch. Because it hurts to stretch. It's easier just to condemn. It's easier to stay rigid. Mm. Rigid, you die. You're going to die there. Let's not keep stoning the prophets. You ever read Acts 7.52? Huh? He's like, Stephen, it's Stephen's speech. He's like, what prophet haven't you stoned? Guess what they did to Stephen? They stoned him. He's like, well, geez, what, what guy haven't you put down? Why? Because we don't like people to stretch us. And like physically we don't like it, but here, no, 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 no. No, I've decided these people are out and these people are in. And Jesus just keeps stretching it and stretching it and stretching it. All right, I really messed this up, but let me just say something. Next week's going to be better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to talk about some of the other things that happen at the gym besides stretching. And there are other things that need to happen. And people need a good gym for their soul. Anybody read Sam Harris? One of the leading atheists? No? You should read him. Don't be afraid of him. He critiques the heck out of Christians like you and me. Thanks for a bunch of idiots. But you know what he does? He camps on this. He's like, you guys love this stuff. You love this bloodthirsty God. So we don't know how to talk to Sam Harris. And we should. We should come over and have coffee, Sam. Come to Orchard Grove. We don't believe in that. We believe in what? Love one another. Let's practice. Ready? Love one another. We understand this. We see that that was a part of history. A new commandment I give you. New. This is new. If we understood this, we could talk to atheists better. We could talk to our world better. We could have an interesting dialogue with them. Say, yeah, that's a great book. I actually agree with 90% of his critiques. Just not his conclusion. His conclusion. 